You're listening to the A Scully Cast, brought to you by www.ascully.com. And here are your hosts, A Scully and Sid Talk. Welcome, listeners. Uh, hello, and welcome, Sid Talk, my co host. Thanks. Thank you. So, Sid Talk, what have you got for before the after the show discussion? And what were we that's not concerning about? Inherent Vice, the movie we're Yeah, but that's what. You still don't understand the concept of the before the act. <laughs> no, what else were you speaking about? Uh, I could, you were talking about Facebook. Were you anything to... A little bit? Yeah. Was I? Yeah. Confusing sometimes? Like Mrs. Joanna McGill. That's boring. That's boring to me and I lived it. But the concept is you were <laughs> talking about that. That was the... <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then we started talking about the book. The da 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 yeah, but that's really the the meat of this podcast. Will be about this movie. That's if I sneeze at all in this podcast, it it might I might sneeze at some point. I've got. So are you saying that we don't contain our discussion of these movies within the parameters of this podcast? We actually discuss them before, after, next week, next month. True. We don't just. We, yeah, we might. We can turn t- this into a commercial, like some people you watch on YouTube, which is so boring. We might talk about this movie on Wednesday because we have more thoughts about it. And you will never experience that. We, will, we probably won't. You probably will. Yeah. Well, no, you will. We might We might say, oh, yeah. I will react to you, yes. But you will think of it more than I do because you're in love with Paul Thomas No, all movies thick stick with me. Like True. I do often have thoughts about movies like two weeks later. I'm like, well, that scene in that movie we watched. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. No, that I, was, one. I was thinking of a TV show that we watched in... I forgot what it was, but I mean, I thought about it for a few days. What did we watch recently? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really. Stick I'm, I'm telling you, my mind is going, and it's not. I don't think it's. I don't think it's aging. I think it's my personality. Like I truly don't pay attention, even when I'm talking and I'm thinking. I'm not like hanging on to it. Then there are other things that I remember, like, in perfect detail. Like, weeks, months later, like, oh, yeah, I remember exactly. But whatever. And then other things, I just, I'm not paying attention. It just goes away. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> That's why the before the after the discussion show, discussion has to be discussed immediately. Otherwise, I'll forget. Like a goldfish. What were we talking about? <laughs> da. Alright, so it is Saturday, April the 25th. This is after the show number 373. This week we are looking at Paul Thomas Anderson's Inherent Vice. This is a 2014 movie. It's actually out on Blu-ray this upcoming Tuesday, the 28th. You can pick it up then. It's uh, from our friends at Warner Brothers, rated R for Mature. Or R for R for what? Restricted. Restricted. Because it does have some uh, nudity, etc. And drug use, I would say. So, Sid, <laughs> you think? Yes. So, Sid, so give us the synopsis of Inherent Vice, and that is an all, almost an impossible question. Hmm. I'm gonna say that beautiful mind and a dangerous mind had a baby. <laughs> you know those two movies, A Beautiful Mind and A Dangerous Mind. I do know those two movies. They had a baby, and it was Inherent Vice. But they had a baby in the 70s. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It is about a man who is nondescript, really, except for what we gather from him, which is great. I, you know, 
And he's involved in some sort of mysteries. He's a private investigator. True. He smokes a lot of dope. I would also... One of my... Uh, that's synopsizing it. One of my uh, recommendations for this week, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. That's like the reporter version of this private eye guy. It's a very similar guy. Because like, he's like... It's just a drug. So Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas is like the ant of this baby. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's some genetic ties here. So, let's start with the movie Inherent Vice. I am a huge Paul Thomas Anderson fan. My favorite movie of all time is his masterpiece, Magnolia, which you should all watch. Um, Your opinion, it is his masterpiece. It's from 1999. Uh, yeah, it is absolutely incredible film. Watch it. Also, I like all of his films. Really? You think every person watching this could tolerate Magnolia? Um... It's not a light-hearted kind of movie. I think you should put yourself through it. <laughs> Drink a glass of wine or take a happy pill. Before, it's an emotional it's gonna, ride. It's going to drag you down a little bit. Up and down, I think. It has all... Yeah, it runs the spectrum. The up is a struggle. Yeah. Let's well, be honest. The up, up is it. only up because the downs are so down. It's a great movie. It great. is a great movie. I don't um, know if it's a masterpiece, but it's great. No, I think it's... I, I actually like There Will Be Blood better, to be honest. That I think I was completely good. enthralled by that guy. And Boogie Nights, Boogie Nights, is really an awesome movie too. Different type of movie than, you know. Is this a review of Paul Thomas Anderson or of Inherent Price? I'm starting off with Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> so where I stand, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson is my one of my favorite film directors. I also think he's one of America's great film directors of our time. Um, so let into his new movie, Inherent Vice, which is the first of his movies... Well, not the first. It's actually the second because um, There Will Be Blood was based on Oil by Upton Sinclair, the novel. And this one is based on Thomas Pinchot's Inherent Vice novel from 1999, as we just learned. Um, so, yeah, this isn't an original work for Paul Thomas Anderson. It's him, you know, transferring something to screen. And what was what's, uh, has been said about this Inherent Vice book is... It is unfilmable. And that was actually said about Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas as well at the time. I can remember people saying, there's no way you could commit that to film because it wouldn't make a lick of sense. Like, And Inherent Vice comes across a lot like Fear and Loathing. Um, and this is how I saw this movie as it's, it started and it started to tell you this story. And as usual with any Paul Thomas Anderson movie, this is a gorgeous looking movie. He... Um, his the way he sees, and the shots that he sets up and everything—it's all immaculate. It's like Wes Anderson or, um, you know, anybody who pays really attention to framing, and it's very deliberate. And this whole movie looks stunning, I think. Um, so it's it's like a mystery kind of story, and for the first fifteen minutes, because I didn't really know what to expect. <clears throat> I was like, okay, I'm going to, uh, we're going to be into a mystery here. And then it started to... Kind of. Yeah, but there's a narration over this movie as well. One of the characters in the movie does a narration. Um, and, you know, you start to get into this thing. And then about 15 minutes in, as I was like, wow, this is kind of weird. Like, it is, it's not, it's... It's off kilter a little bit. That's that was my sensation. 
And then it was like, okay, so we, we're dealing with... And he's, he's referred to a lot in this movie. Doc, who's played by Joaquin Phoenix, is referred to as a hippie a lot. A dirty hippie and a hippie. And he's smoking uh, dope a lot. Um, and you get... The whole film starts to come across of this vibe of... I've not really been... I've never done drugs like that. Um, so I don't understand really what how being drugged, you know, marijuana drugged, works. But this movie, I uh, I assume, if I did know, I, if I had done weed, makes you feel like you're in this stupor the entire time. It's kind of like you're sat on the shoulder of this Doc character. And he's this private eye guy who's a stoner, basically, like a complete stoner. And... The way he plays him is interesting because everything seems to take a few seconds to register with him. And I, I thought that was really awesome, like, because he, he's an intelligent guy and he understands things. But the he weed... He knows what's going on. The weed slows him a little bit. Or helps him. It, it, it's hard to actually... Um, or does it make him hallucinate all of that? That's what I mean. Or, or some scenes that are occurring are obviously not real. Like, there's, there's scenes in this movie where you're like, okay... Spoiler alert. Yeah, we, I think we left the real world behind and we're just in like a, a, a dope-fueled stupor at the moment. There is a lot of that in this movie. Um, but yeah, I, I love that, how it's like he's this private eye guy who's trying to get to the bottom of this case that actually... I'm thinking I need to watch this a few times to get more out of it, which I think is the same with all Paul Thomas Anderson movies. You can get more out of them the more you watch them. This one in particular, because it is very unlinear and meandering and not it's not a narrative that you can follow. It's really difficult to follow it. It's all over the place, to be honest. It's uh, but but that's what the actual novel is like. Um. So yeah, I after about fifteen minutes, I I said to myself consciously, subconsciously. I'm not going to try and follow this anymore. I'm just going to absorb the, 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 you know, the time. LA, it captures it. It captures the, the place, the time, you know, weird people like with this, they're all kind of strange and hyper exaggerated, which maybe is because that's how he sees people or is that how those people really are? I don't think that's how those people really are. I think they're all a bit weird because he's on drugs, right? But I stopped. Caring about the actual narrative and who's done what and what did this. Because there's so many names being thrown at you. Exactly. A lot of stuff being thrown at you. Um, All that stuff, it's just hard to keep a track of. And, you know, I just started to get into the vibe of it. And I really dig the vibe of it. But I feel like I need to see it more. I really dig it, man. Groovy. I feel like I need to see the actual movie a few times to actually get all the... Or read the book. Yeah. Well, it appara- should not ha- be the way. What I just read is don't read the book because you. <laughs> so I, I read quite a few different things. You said I read the book and then saw the movie, and I'm no wiser after doing both of those things, right? So maybe that's the idea, like that the drug fueled stupor of the whole thing, you know, makes Doc doesn't really know what he's doing. It seems to me he's kind of meandering through this thing. He's just sometimes he sometimes he connects the dots, 
and it leads him to something and sometimes he goes off into something that's like whoa what did he do just do that did he just spend two days stoned in his apartment and the scene we just saw was just him what what he was thinking about did that really happen yeah exactly there's that there's that element to this movie there's that element to fear and loathing in Las Vegas it's not overt like oh we're gonna any minute now we're gonna be revealed that this was all just in his mind it's more like we all fantasize all the time. If you don't, you're full. If you say you don't, you're full shit. You can imagine, like, everybody does it. Like, you think about what you're going to say to whoever. You think about, like, you might sit and watch your boss and be like, I don't know, you just think about how would I tell this person this thing or, and you make it up in your head. So then you're never sure if he's doing that. Or if it's just that he's so open to things that it's like, you know, like you said, his perception of particularly the cop guy, yeah. who, you know, that his perception of that guy is so hyped up that that's what we see as well. We never see a different version of him, except that one moment when he's with his kid, wife as the well. Kid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. When he's not with him, mm-hmm. he's different, a little bit different. I don't believe the version of the cop. The version of the cop that we see, the one that sometimes picks him up and starts beating him up and stuff, I don't believe that is, <laughs> that is that guy at all, like, in this movie. And I don't know if that's correct, but it didn't feel right. It felt, to me, like, no, Doc is making this shit up. That's what he thinks this guy is, and that's what he thinks this guy is going to do. And we're, that's seeing, what he his represents ima- we're seeing it in his mind, yeah. occasionally. And there is a lot of that in this movie, like, when the Martin Short character comes in and stuff, there's just scenes of... I, if I was on drugs, this is probably what this is. This is probably what drugs is. I don't, you know, I don't understand. It makes your mind go off into somewhere else. This is what's happening most of the time on it. <laughs> um, and what this movie actually does is, if you do like let all that go, like I don't, I'm not following this plot properly. I don't really understand where it's going. And you know what? Not this might be a little bit of a spoiler. Let's say it is a spoil. It's hard to spoil this movie. I, I did. We could say everything about this movie, and you still wouldn't. Uh, yeah. But do you not feel that even it's a two and a half hour movie, a long movie? It doesn't really go anywhere either. It's just a. It it's kind of you know if you if you were to say was this wrapped up at the end. It's not really. <laughs> it's not. It, it's more about a, yeah. Yes, some of the some of the uh, if it was all a bunch of loose ends, a couple of them are tied, and you could say yes, that actually happened. But then most of it is some characters are inconsequential completely. Some, you know, it, it's just some characters I don't even know exist. For example, you know the uh, Chinese lady. Yeah. I'm not even sure she's real, like. Hmm. And you could say, oh, no, I think she is. And I could say, no, I don't think... I think you could say that for quite a few people in this movie. I think you could say that even for, like, the main person involved in the the case. Oh, yeah. 100%. That could not not even be a person. Absolutely. So it's a hard movie to... Because if you notice, no one else ever, ever she no engages with her no ever. So and she's but so, people know she exists, but, but only through like he's spoke about her or or whatever. I I'm, I know that that might not be the right, but she she seems too perfect for his like it's a a man scenario of this woman. 
She, yeah. she seems very hyper, but everything does. So Yeah. Yeah, so it's hard to pin this movie because you could say, no, I think this person isn't... It's all up in the air. It's a strange... And I can't argue with it because in some movies you might say, oh, no, I think this is why he did that. I'm like, nope, you're wrong. And I'm right because you can look it up or you can figure it out. But And that's the way That's it is. the idea of this but movie. But this it's one a... is like... You could say that's artistic to have this kind of tale where it's, you know, or you could say it's overly pretentious and overly like pretentious, scholarly I, and like, I like it's just it, somebody but it being is clever with writing and. They're not being clever. You know, P- Pinchon is. I just did a bit of a Cliff's Notes kind of like research on him. He's really highly regarded as a novelist. He's with very literate type of people. Like, like. The people who read pulpy novels don't think about him at all, but all those people who love how words play off each other... Right, but that doesn't necessarily make it good for him. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. But yeah. what I'm saying is that's that's where this guy is kind of in the, you know, prose kind of world. And this movie feels to me like it's in a certain... It's a little bit above most people, I think. It's above me, I'll be honest. There are times I'm like, what the going on. And I, and I, I did see <laughs> But not in a good way. Not in a way where I'm like okay, like you, I'll just go with the flow. More in a way of like, what's happening now, you're telling me a story. And I get it. Some things can be a bit questionable and when you're telling a story that you don't want to be like all other stories and storytelling and you don't want to be like other movies. This breaks so, all those rules. Right. But when you break the rules just to do it and in the end you don't there's no satisfaction in elements of it, then what's the point? It's like, if it's just to be highbrow, and so that other... If you're in a conversation with a bunch of pretentious assholes, and they all claim to understand every single bit of dialogue and every single thing happening in the story, you know they're mostly full of shit. They just don't want to appear to not understand it. It's that kind of thing. It's like it's like the joke somebody tells, and you kind of go, "Oh," <laughs> and you're like, "Oh my god, I, I have no that idea what yeah, that is." I don't I know. Who that, is. that is so far over my head. Now I admit, I don't think it's over my head in terms of like complex and shit like that. I think it is. In te- like, I don't know if you know anybody in real life who's like this, but I do. Where they rattle off, almost. Almost like a, not obsessively, but like every bit of their conversation is a reference to a quote from a book, from Nietzsche, from this person, from the Bible versus, you know, the probst and then this other philosopher and all this. This you know, film would hit well with that person. Yeah. And yeah. that, then that person will pick this film yeah, apart and, and be like, oh, that's so obvious. All of it. The symbolism, yeah. the symbolism of him pulling the plant out of the ground and throwing it at the guy. Ugh, how boring. Like, and you're just going like, what the hell? He just pulled a plant out of the ground and threw it at the guy. Like, that's pretentious to me. And by doing it intentionally to get to that level is pretentious. I know I personally think from what I've just read about this guy, Tom Thomas Pinchon, his books are that. Right. They're very... It's hard I mean, work. you can't say, oh, it's pretentious. Because, no, he's just in that area of... He doesn't go, oh, I'm He gonna, might not be He's not going, I'm going to be pretentious. But he, the people who read it and then wear it as a badge of honor... Yeah, like, I they, understand Pinchon. Yeah, I get my, it, and you don't. He's my dude. And also, yeah. they're adding stuff to it that isn't there because they think they've read enough of other literature and symbolism and all this other shit that makes it 
all the puzzle pieces fit together, which means they're struggling just as hard as you and I are to make sense of it. Now, Paul Thomas Anderson, in his interview that I watched when he was promoting this movie, said he loves Thomas Pynchon. He always has. He loves those books. He likes how they're super challenging for a reader and also how they immerse you in a certain time and place. You can feel the time and place. That's what he loves. He was also told by many people that there's no way you could film those books because they are just, they're too abstract. It's not something you could put down on film and it'd be coherent. And he said to himself, I could make a Pinchon book into a movie and I don't think it'd be coherent either, but I think I could capture his vibe and the place and the setting and the quirky characters and the humour. And there is a lot of humour in this film. I'm not talking about, like, rolling around on the floor laughing. I'm just (laughs) talking about... That is just, like... It's just funny. Some of the things people do. Some of the... Just some of the, like, um, movements that people do. Just the the way these characters are. It's, um... Yeah. They're they're all hyper-real. Like like the Big Lebowski. Everybody is... Yeah, it reminded me of that quite often. It does. It is a bit like that, also. That's a bit dream worldy and kind of you don't know whether it, the stone now that's the or... thing you're making a guy or a person or a character who is too cool to be real right so and yet he ha- you aspire to be the dude and but he's completely fabricated but what's interesting doc about that... is not that no. to me doc is actually a dirty hippie guy yeah with whatever his ambitions are to at least have some sort of semblance of like, like okay i don't know if you had hippie people in britain yeah, in england well, of course. <laughs> right? like called hippies and stuff yeah. well there's a very unambitious unmotivated get stone hang out not just that tunes. i mean not just that there's a whole thing of i'm not playing the game i'm yeah. not gonna be under your thumb man life is just for living man and that I will get what I can get, but I don't want to have to, like, do what you say. Like, if I want to do it, man, I'll do it. Like, that kind of thing. Now, that's a very generalization. He has some... He's stepped up from that a tiny bit because he has his own PI business. Yeah. As far as we know. Yeah. <laughs> so he has... He's inching toward... He's, like, between the worlds, almost. He's between the... Joss Brolin and, like, total dirty hippiness. Which is also an interesting thing. Because he's getting older. This guy's not a young guy. No. And he's not an idiot. He's intelligent. You know, you don't think, oh, God, he's just a bumbling idiot. Because, no, he actually does piece things together. But the drugs are affecting that. But are the drugs making him better? Or making him better. <laughs> but it, it's very question. very unclear as to which yeah. which. Like, it, like I say, the way he plays it with his couple of seconds of my brain needs to lock into gear before I say anything because I am... Either stoned right now or I've been stoned recently and I'm still under that. He plays that perfectly. There's a lot of time. And then he come out with something quite profound and you're like, wow, he he had to really like work at getting that out though. He'll say something to somebody. Um, But yeah, it is not a straightforward narrative movie. Of my, all the Thomas Anderson movies, of all of them, is my least favorite after one viewing. But... I still see Paul Thomas Anderson's filmmaking in there. And I know he's, you know, 
I said to you, I just love Paul Thomas Anderson films, but not every subject is going to hit me. And this, it doesn't grasp me. I don't think the characters are very, like, super lovable, or I just want to watch those characters do their thing. They're very, they're a bit abstract, and, like, you know, you can watch Boogie Nights and go, oh, I really love, like... Because there's not one person that I care about. I don't care about the teeth woman, or... Or Doc, to we be am. honest. Yeah. I don't. I don't care about the girlfriend. I don't care about the Chinese. Well, you know what? The funny thing is, the Chinese young lady. Yeah. I actually have a thing about, like, she is, you know, trying to get along, doing her thing. But she's also stuck in a very precarious position. And I would hate for her to be one of the names that turned up as... I, I actually cared more about her, and she was very peripheral. I still feel like she couldn't... I still feel like she might not even be a person. Maybe. There's a lot of people who... You could argue. Because think about it. He was at a construction site. Yeah. And the only thing he found was a sex shop. Yep. In a trailer. Yeah. And a bat. <laughs> and that whole... So is it like this guy walks up to this trailer and imagines that this all... Blah, 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 and none of it mattered, though. None of it was relevant. Uh-uh. And There's then, a lot of boom. not relevant stuff. And, yeah. And, and, you know... You know what? We're not really selling this movie. <laughs> One of my favorite scenes in this movie, in terms of Paul Thomas Anderson's, like, all his cinematography over all the years, and that was one of my favorite scenes, when they're driving in that car, and they're driving up to that, you know, that very 1970s, 60s, you know where LA was all being constructed, and we've seen all those images a lot, a lot. Like I have anyway in different LA movies, of you know now we're making the suburbs and they're being mm, built. Yeah, and that that where you're in the car driving and there's the uh, biker gang and they're going down and he's kind of that whole just how that looked to me was one of my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson shots. I know it, it's just. I know what you're saying. It took me there. Like, it was the right time of day. It just, it's what I think of LA in the 70s or the 60s, even. This was the 70s, though, right? It was the 1970. 1970. But it just has that feeling of that. I, I could taste it. Like, the, the sea air, the, the sweatiness of the whole place, the, it just comes across like perfectly. And that whole thing with the bikers going past him and the kind of half built, you know, house at the end. It's just all that. That is all. There was no house. It was just trailers. They hadn't built anything. Yeah, yet. trail like. But this, there's a lot of construction going. Yeah, and it's just that. That was really. But yeah, this movie is a hard, hard, hard movie to for me to say to a, a, a listener. It's this who done it about this, this, and this, and or is if it? If you like that stuff, yeah, because it really has all those aspects of. It might not be anything. It might just be. The whole thing might just be Doc sat in his scummy room, lying on the couch. But it isn't, because I think that would be revealed. I mean, you can't be so clever that you don't actually tell your story. No. Right? That's the idea of telling a story. It's not like a normal... It meanders, it goes places where... There are pointless threads to it that don't actually coerce to anything. Like, it's that kind of film. It's about the vibe and the... I don't remember anything that didn't lead back to the main story. Well, they lead back. They can lead back to the main story, but they, if you took them... This, this, if it was all branches of a tree, you could definitely snip some of these branches off and it would still work. Because it is so vague anyway, in a way. Like, there's a lot of vagueness to the whole thing. Because you don't, you know, you don't know that's true. You don't, thinking about it too hard, I think, could ruin it for you. 
So that's why I just went into that mode of this is Paul Thomas Anderson's well, let stuff. Let it go. I was just like I was just sitting back going, I'm gonna get lost in the cinematography. The detail he puts into characters I really love, and there's a lot of that in this movie. You can just sit and look at these people and they're doing their thing. Like it's they feel like people. Like you said, they've got accelerated dialogue, like weird dialogue. Yeah, definitely. Like Tarantino sometimes, I've said to you, I love Tarantino's stuff, but it feels like written words are coming out of mouths. Well, this whole movie feels like the the novel is being coming out of people's mouths, right? Yes, 100%. It's like, it's like they were doing a reading of the novel. And the novel, you know, the, the sometimes it just goes off, you know. She does a narration that is clearly a page from the novel. She reads a whole page from the novel and that's the narration. Um, and that's just how this movie works. It's a different type of movie. If you're a mainstream movie person, you this is not your movie. It's, I don't think so, yeah. No, I don't think... I think it's... Firstly, it's two and a half hours long. Secondly, it doesn't have a structure like a normal movie, really. Um, it's more of your art house kind of movies. And if you're into that kind of movie, that kind of film, you'll you'll be right at home with this. Um, and me as a Paul Thomas Anderson fan, I took my Paul Thomas Anderson stuff from it, but it isn't my favorite story because it, it's not his story, to be honest. But it didn't capture me as much as his other ones. You know, I'm thinking like the last one he did, The Master. It's just a very interesting topic, but the master. And you can't help but be interested in that topic. Were you the same with that? Like, it's not about Scientology, it's told the master. In a different way. Well, it is, but it's told in a different way. So no, you have I mean, all the different tools that the writer is using. Like, the master is linear. Yeah. And yet it also well, has elements of it does float around potential it. fantasy tucked in. But overall, you have this person started here, and this is where we're ending. Yeah, these thing, a- these events have happened to these people along the way, and along the way, you have certain moments like the singing and the weirdness. But all along, you are on a path, the start and a finish. You know, start in the middle and a finish. Even if it's a little open ended, you still have gone somewhere. Whereas this one, you think you have a start and an end. To certain things. But then because you don't care. I mean, to me, because I don't care, it's very weird. And also then you go, well, I mean, I do believe that Wilson is a thing. Yeah, I do. I almost feel like that's the only thing. <laughs> and I couldn't, give, I couldn't give a shit. They're not, com- they're not people that I empathize with. I don't care But what's interesting characters. is, aside, f- you can say all that stuff, which I'm also saying. Um, I, the characters, I I like them as intricate, detailed characters, which they were. But I don't I don't care if they live or die. Nope. But I felt like I got something from it all. Like it, overall, yes. The overall vibe, yes, came through. I got the vibe of it. It was just. I think you got a different vibe from me, which is what's interesting. Right. So I didn't come away going, "Oh my god, what was that pile of shit that I don't understand." No, that's not how I see it. It's, it's more because I, I have walked away from certain movies. Not Paul Thomas Anderson. Not movies. Paul Thomas Anderson, but other movies. I've walked away from some high-level people trying to be clever, or like it is just a Brazil, for instance. Have you seen Brazil? No. It's a very challenging movie, like this one is. Like you, you don't know what's real. You don't know what it's. It's all interpretation. The whole thing, like Requiem so, for a Dream. 
See that one. You're th- you're to be convinced that this is what this person's experiencing right. in their drug but it, mind. But you, there's question marks all over it. But I find that one a little bit more straight and narrow than something like Brazil, where it's like you can come away from Brazil and have an entirely different your version. I should watch it. I never have. Yeah, it's 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 challenging for for sure. I was a lot younger when I watched it, and it's I think it's more challenging when you're younger to watch like arty films because you know you you're not you've not seen a lot of films, have you? When you're younger, Mulholland Drive. Mulholland Drive is any David Lynch movie actually. Not all of them are that way anymore. I've not seen a David Lynch movie where it's not got a element of. yeah, but Mulholland Drive has got more than most. It's got a very, like, what? And then also, almost it's like half of it, part of it didn't happen or something. No, I think yeah. most of his movies have that. Even Crash and, you know, um, Twin Peaks even. Like, it is, Twin Peaks is just I like... I think Crash is pretty straightforward. It is, but there are some sequences of... Yeah, but it's very straightforward. It is what it is. Twin you Peaks, know, then, is probably it's a not good example. Like, you know... With the Lynchian... As people say in air quotes, things. What else has he done? uh, The Twin Peaks movie. A razor head. Okay. Haven't Uh, seen it. um, What was the... I get him and Fincher mixed up then. No. uh, David Fincher is seven. Yeah, Fincher's very linear. Linear, but... Yeah. Lynch is very... Mental. Art house. It's, It's odd. It's got a it can be anything and maybe you won't understand it and nobody's ever going to explain it like he he isn't even going to explain it it's just you that's you take it however you take it and i get that kind of movie and i you know i i love twin peaks and it doesn't make a lot of sense twin peaks it's uh hard to understand it's uh not a linear dialogue it's like it's like lost then someone was trying to emulate a certain weirdness with lost yeah but didn't quite Get exactly. It. On a very low level. Yeah. <laughs> Polar bear? What? Weird number? But yeah. it's not avant-garde enough or surreal enough. And this movie's... This one isn't surreal. It's not like you're out of touch with reality ever. Just skirts that that thing, you know? It skirts the... It, it removes the Hollywood narrative thing, like the beginning, middle, end... Um, you know, we've got to get this done. It, it's you just only a, have, yeah. You only have the one story inside of it that has a yeah, thing. like a lo- like a trail. We to think follow. he's and they find him and then did a and he yeah. That's the only part that I can think of. And then maybe in his mind reconciliation with what's her face with his girl, which <laughs> might be it, might be, might not be, could all be it. You know, it's that. Fear and Loathing is it could be in his mind the majority of the movie because he is so fucked up. The thing about Fear and Loathing is that was a real guy, like that, was <laughs> right. the, that MTV dude, Thomas S. Hunter. He he was like because I do think there are people who continuously run things through their heads, violent things that they would do, sexual things that they would do, different ways they would do it. They sit and I mean, we all like I said we all do it on a certain level, but I do think there are people who. Who are very inside of themselves, but they imagine all kinds of things. Now that is the movie playing in their head. That is part of what this movie is, a little bit. And the the funny thing, um, Paul Thomas Anderson films get talked about a lot. People talk about them, they love them. 
Love you know, Love I see a lot of discussion about Paul Thomas Anderson movies. I saw virtually no discussion for Inherent Vice after it came out, and you know why I think that is? Because I think people didn't know what to say about it. <laughs> yeah. I think if you can't, if you if you think about it and go, I don't get it or understand it, then what do I say? Aside from that was a lot of bullshit, I don't get it. Because I do see a lot of that. When you go on Rotten Tomatoes and look what... I was looking at what the people thought of this movie. There's two schools for this one. There's Paul Thomas Anderson fans who, like me, say... I uh, I like Paul Thomas Anderson, but maybe this is not my favourite of his. Because I just don't like the... I mean, I do like it, but I, it's not... I think you'll like it more the more you think I about think it. I think you have to see it more, too. Yeah. And you can't fault it for the performances. No. Because when you think about them... It's, it's really like, highly quality constructed. Uh, the whole thing. Like, the cinematography, everybody's performances, the set design, the costuming. The whole thing is like, you know... It's it has to- that slight hint of indulgence, however. Now, with Joaquin Phoenix, I feel like he was just in it. Other people had a slight self-indulgence about their performance that... This movie really... Didn't get the edge kind it of It does like itself. Yeah. Like, look at me. Look how clever I am. Yeah, look at, look at I've my... I've turned an impossible book into a movie. And look at my ensemble cast. <laughs> yeah. We're all very talented. No shit. Like, and I'm... A, he might well be afraid. But there are times when... And I'm not saying anybody's bad at all. There's just moments. But then again, we have to decide. Are these hyper... His understanding of the moment? And therefore, that person's behavior is only through his filter? That's why they seem a bit intense or... Not intense. It actually makes me like Paul Thomas Anderson more because this is brave, a brave film to sure. put out there. Because if you think about all these other films, that you know, there's some artist. You know, even Punch Drunk Love's got like a. It's it's an easy to follow story, but it's got yeah. Punch Drunk it, Love is out there. It's got stuff in there where people would be like, I don't. This is not sitting right with me. It is a bit weird. I don't. It's not because like in this one, there's that one moment where everything like and then. Yeah. And he's like, what? And then there's never... That's yep. it. So you have to... And then there's the truck in Punch Drunk Love that... So I think this is a brave film because, like, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson very personally likes this book or likes this guy who writes books and then says to himself, I want to... Nobody's put his books on film, so I'm going to do that. I don't know if that's what he thinks, but yeah. <laughs> well, that's why he said, in, I'm going to, you know, put one of his books onto a film and try to get, you know, make it acceptable like it's like people won't say oh that's a terrible (laughs) interpretation of his book um and from what i read people's comments people who do like the book and do like this guy pinchot they said that this is a good adaptation of his work on the screen because there's not many ways to do it and the way paul thomas anderson chose to do it was to try and be funny about a lot of the material which i believe he succeeded with because it is funny just some of the characters to look at are funny. Um, I think Josh Brolin's character is hilarious most of the time because it, it's just it's all, it's it's hyper. It's he's eating his bananas with chocolate on him. He's always acting weird. Like some of the things that come out of his mouth are like what a policeman's not to spoke not he's not supposed to be speaking that way. What's he saying to this guy? Like, but there again, is he saying it to this guy? That's what this movie is. So, um, let's move on to the cast. So, what? Just, just to um, clarify, <laughs> sum it up. 
<laughs> just to sum it up. <laughs> I really, I enjoyed it. You um, and I can both think of one person listening to us talk right now. I can think of a few people be like, I knew who wouldn't watch want it this. for like 10 minutes and be like, what the hell are they talking? I mean, we're right. I think most moviegoers would, if they did sit through the whole two and a half hours of this, would come out at the end and say, I don't want to watch anything. I think like that if that you're again. confused by Inception and we're, it's an understandable linear thing, it yeah. just doesn't appear to be, you have to work at it a little bit, but it's very straightforward. It just doesn't seem like that. I don't that. think, I think. You know, like, what Paul Thomas Anderson said about Pinchot's books is uh, they're almost inconsumable. Like, <laughs> like it's very difficult for anybody to fully grasp the entire, you know, brevity or the whole thing. Like, they just, they just can't take the, you know, you might get a little bit of it and really dig that bit, but most of it will be lost on you. That's how this movie feels to me. It's very difficult to comprehend the entire thing. But as a looking at how a film is constructed, I really dig the way it was constructed. <laughs> like Yes. The way it looks and feels. Because it really does feel like that time and, and those people do feel to me like people yes. of that time. So move on to the cast. Joaquin Phoenix plays Doc. He's in most of this movie. If you don't like him, you don't know in his movie. <laughs> True. Because he really... I really liked him in it. Um, I liked him in The Master too, though. You know, I think he's he's an interesting character. Like Daniel Day-Lewis, who's another guy who has appeared in Paul Thomas Anderson's movies. I feel like he throws himself in fully. 100%. I don't know if he's a method actor or whatever, but I feel like he's Doc. I don't think about Phoenix anymore once he's doing that. And, you know, he's playing this... He's very, very under the influence of drugs a lot of the time. Uh, Josh Brolin plays Bigfoot, who's this large cop fella. Um, what did you think of him? I was like, I, I really like him. I think that he also, like we saw... Um, what was the last thing? Sin City? No, the other one. Japanese. Or Korean. The, oh, old boy. Yeah, yeah. where he... Sometimes it's over because he's he's taking it extremely seriously, but with that sense of ironic, I'm a really intense actor, this is a really intense character, and now I'm going to do something so wacky, but it's within the intensity. I don't know. It's like he takes it all very um, Hollywoody. Do you know what I mean? Like, Joaquin Phoenix, to me, he is... What he like is. an artist. His per yeah, I think that personality wise, his his human being of who he is, he if he was a an an accountant, these behaviors and this sort of personality would come out. Josh Brolin, sort of born into it, becomes great actor, but it's a bit affected sometimes for me. But I always like him. Like I'm intrigued by him. I, I he find, just does. He strains his neck. I find him to look at. He looks like a movie star. To me. <laughs> yeah, like, but then we have to remember. Is it the filter again from Joaquin Phoenix's character who's seeing this guy that, like, I think of people like my sister Shella. When we describe different people, her description of the exact same person is completely different from mine. Right. And I'm thinking, what? They don't act that way. They don't look that way. They didn't say that exactly. That's not how they are. But her perception 
of that person is through her filters. And they're always hyped up a bit. They're always, there's a difference. And I think of that with these two, this character. That's what I'm thinking that he's, so Josh Brolin might be just exactly right. But then again, sometimes I feel like he's just, somebody's not saying, hey, let's do it one more time, but take it down just a little bit. He's, he's. But I always want to see him in the next thing. And he's quite funny in this movie. It's it's pretty funny. But not funny like, haha. No, it's just odd enough to be. Like, I, it's funny. It's like Stink Palm in Mallrats. He's yeah. not supposed to be funny. Well. You're right, you're, he's not funny. He's supposed he's to be intense. menacing a bit, isn't he? Yeah. yeah, he's mad. He's angry. He's intense. He's uh, he's not supposed to be funny. But it comes off um, too much. I'm comparing Mallrats now with the Paul Thomas Anderson movie. <laughs> you know I don't know why. Henry, serial killer guy. There's that thing there. He comes off comical because he's so tightly wound. That's the comedy for this guy. Owen Wilson plays Coy Harlingen. Um, and he's quite pivotal, Owen Wilson, in this movie, even though he's not in it that much. But is he? That's the, that's the point. Well, you could say that about anything in this yep. movie. But he is a central, like a core of the apple a little bit. Um, oh, I see him as nothing. He's over here and that just was like an accidental thing. Yeah, but it, it totally really different. plays into the movie. It's It's... Yeah, but I'm not thinking about it throughout the whole movie at all until he comes back to revisit it. I'm not focused on that. That's not my goal. I don't think he does anything special. No. Um, He plays, you know, he's he's kind of one note a little bit to me. A little bit. Yeah. Um, But he's playing it more like he's in a Wes Anderson film, which he's also... Yeah. ...than he is in a goofy film. He's not... It's kind of in the middle of it. toned down. Yeah. Uh, Catherine Waterston, who I thought was awesome in this movie, and I don't really know who she is. Uh, she plays Shasta Hepworth, who's the female interest of Doc. And she was so good. There's some intense moments. She's a new actress as well. <laughs> like I was, I, I was, I was, she's not really been in anything. She is, what a way to. If her instructions are, her direction from the director is, if we're right, let's say, and she's a, um, Imagined, not imagined, but he's filling in her yeah, presence in his life at this time. Like, she's a real person, but the, what we see could be the uh, fantasy of yeah. his, right? I can hear the director saying to her, you are, you know, he's seeing you a certain way. And then we have the 70s, and she even mentions different things. Manson girls, yeah. and what do you really want, and what do you expect from a woman... And then she does all, she tells him, you know, I know exactly, exactly how to say what it. to do it. Yeah. yeah. And she does the opposite and the exact, and then there's just moments of her being so low key that you're like, you want to shake her because she's, but. The, the, on the, on the cover, the, she's on the cover quite yeah. predominantly and it really is exactly what, <laughs> you know, how she comes across. She's inherent, like a temptress. She's, she's like the a, inherent vice. Yeah. Something that you cannot see that's a, a definition. But she was a big surprise to me because I didn't know. You know what, I'm, Paul Thomas Anderson? He likes a certain look of a woman as well, I think. Very natural looking. Um, they might be really beautiful, but they're natural looking. Even like his wife, mm-hmm. who's in this movie. And the other lady. You know, they're, they're a very natural kind of, not full of makeup. They're just a... And he films them very romantically, like yes. with that light and stuff. And everybody in his other movies. Even. I just think that she had moments, particularly the, you know, yeah, that it sort of like transcended her. She was really there was just this subtle. And she's not in it a ton, but when she is, you know she's in. She's it. in a lot, but you know she's there. Like when she's in a scene, you're like, she's 
Part of it is I don't appreciate the character at the heart of it, this sort of semi-damaged, sort of hippy-dippy, but not necessarily hippy-dippy, tragic, um, maybe possibly damaged by over, like, someone doing that horrible things to her. Not that I don't have sympathy for that. I'm just saying this character that men write of this young, um, sort of scrambled young lady... Is a little bit boring, that aspect of it. But she changes it. She does. Because you only get, I think, what he... I don't know. I think she was just... Really, particularly that one moment, I just... You need to keep a lookout for Catherine Waterston. She's called uh, Reese Witherspoon, also plays in this movie, as Penny Gimble, Kimble, sorry. Um, that scene where she sat on the bench, talking. Mm-hmm. Um, from a technical perspective of, uh, like, I was looking at the filmmaking while, while the talking was going on. That Paul Thomas Anderson, as the conversation goes on, he zooms the camera in, but he does it so subtly. The last word of the dialogue, you don't realize you're right in the face or you're, you're, you're actually on. I didn't, I didn't notice. No, you're on, um, Doc's face. You're... It starts off as a wide shot of uh, the, the two of them talking on the bench. And the, the conversation goes on for, what, five minutes maybe? It's, it's quite a lengthy conversation. It zooms in so slowly and so methodically. It's really slowly. It's hard to even tell it's zooming in. The very final bit is you're right looking at his sunglasses. Like, you're, you're in his face. And it, I was like, wow, I don't think I've seen that before and not realised. I only realised it was happening about halfway through the zooming in. I was like, okay, he's, he's pulling the shot in to get intimate with them and close, but she's not even in the frame anymore. She's talking, but she's not there. Well, I didn't notice either. Which is interesting because it's just his face, like, and she's still talking, but we're not even looking at her anymore. It was like a subtle thing. I think it might have been a one of those things... Is, is it anybody oh. even here? Like, is it yeah, just yeah. him? Or, you know, but um, I love that. Uh, and it's not to do with Reese Witherspoon, really, but it was the scene I remember her from. She was quite good in it. Benicio Del Toro plays Sancho Simax Esquire. And uh, he's kind of, it's a little bit goofy, his character. He's a lawyer, but he's like a nautical lawyer, <laughs> which is really funny, like, because when he says, what do you know about it? You're a, you're, you're a marine lawyer. And he, he said, like, something about... Uh, you can Crime happens it. on the high seas yeah. as well. Yeah. <laughs> so he's quite, he's quite funny, his character, but, you know, he's... I think it's a bit like the Brolin character. It's a bit over-exaggerated character, you know? But um, I really like him, always doing most things I see. Jenna Malone appears here as Hope Harlingen. She's from the Hunger Games, you remember? Joanna yeah. from the Hunger Games. Um, I like that scene. Where she's t- asking him, like, do you, do you like my teeth? <laughs> yeah, but I didn't, I didn't give a care. But didn't she, care. like I say, she's a character who, she she appears and there's a lot of people floating in and out of this and she's not in it long, but I did like what she did. She was good, but I don't, if I don't care at all or I'm not interested in that person or I'm not intrigued in a good or bad way, you know, no, uh, no country for old men, that guy is horrible. Yeah. But you're just like, holy shit, I can't wait to see what this guy does. Like, he's always facing down this clerk in a store, flipping the coin, says, I'm going to kill you or not kill you. I'm interested. Because now I understand this guy 
is a menace, right? And he's interesting to me. If he gets done over in the end, I'm interested. If he gets away with it in the end, I'm interested. So many characters in this movie, and if that's being clever that you're not supposed to care or that they're just like people in your life who float or over there and you don't ever know what happens to them, then that goes over my head. Because I feel like if you've introduced somebody to me and I've been told about their situation, and now you've introduced to me a solution for their problem. I'm not saying I have to get there in a straight line or that it has to be a happy ending at all. No, no, no. But making that person so irrelevant, really, to yeah, me. Yeah, there are quite a few, like I said. There's... It's like padding the whole story. And, you know, you get a lot of left off. You can go, oh, at that, you know, for at some point. But I didn't care enough. Paul Thomas Anderson's wife, Maya Rudolph, also appears here as Petunia Leeway. Um, she's just like a what, reception nurse, yeah. nurse receptionist. Um, but yeah, it's just, I like her, but there's not really much for her to, you know, for me to go, oh yeah, it's an exceptional performance because it's very small and it's almost like a, she's just here for, you know, because we needed somebody for this part mm-hmm. and she was around, like, so... Uh, Martin Short plays Dr. Rudy Blatnoid. Again. Interesting choice, though. Yeah. Because you know he's wacky. Uh And he has a little element of that. And he can really play on the wackiness. So again, is this a real situation? That whole, that part, actually, the Martin Short part, where it kind of goes odd. I mean, the whole movie goes odd, but there's a part there where it really does go, woo, and you're kind of like, okay, <laughs> this is a bit crazy. Um, but yeah, he really embraces it, I think, and I really liked him. So this is directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, I mentioned about 50 times. <laughs> go go and see his movies, his other movies. Boogie Nights, Magnolia, There Will Be Blood, Hard Eight, which was his first movie, Punch Drunk Love, and The Master. Um that if you saw this movie and thought, I'm never going to watch a Paul Thomas Anderson movie again because I don't get this. His other movies are not like this one in mm. terms of a narrative. They, they Like, think of Boogie, Boogie Nights. It's a straightforward film, isn't it? It's a funny, heartbreaking, violent movie, but it's a, it's, it's a straightforward film. Magnolia, the narrative's straightforward. It just brings a lot of narratives together at once, you know? But none of his films are like this film. I think the closest to this would be The Master. Yeah. Which has a bit of... Definitely. You know. But uh, yeah, go and see his other movies. He's my favourite film director because he is awesome. Uh, Extras. And because this is a long movie, there are not many extras on the disc. um, But there are some commercials for the movie. And I I found them interesting because this movie wasn't marketed like how you would think. They didn't try to make it seem like a, just an average normal movie that you would... The, they're quite artsy, the trailers, which I, I appreciate. Um, so, in conclusion, what's your conclusion? I will want to see it again, but I probably want to watch another Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Maybe even The Master, because I've only seen it once. Yeah, The Master is good. And then watch it again. Because because there are moments where I'm trying to think if I'm just really not very 
smart. <laughs> like, holy shit, I can't listen to all this thing this person's rattling off. Am I supposed to remember 15 names or three names, huh. five names? And the da 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 and the da. Now, other people could. And they'd be like, how oh, could you not remember everything they said? And then I'd be like, well, because I'm not, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not catching it. My net is not catching it all. You might approach it differently so in I'm second viewing also. Right. I'm yeah. distracted somewhat from the dialogue because I'm not getting what they're saying. And then because I'm very focused in on people reactions like acting like they're they're subtle and more and more i'm especially in movies like this maybe not in like you know fluffier movies like iron man or something i'm not zoomed in on every but in this one particularly with the young lady there are moments when everything that she's supposed to be feeling is and i'm not exaggerating and i'm using the word correctly literally in the triangle between her mouth and her eyes, there is no other movement. There's no other dialogue. It is all right there. And it's a hundred percent right. I love that. But if they're talking, talking, oh, I'm not, I'm not catching it all. So, but I want to watch it again. I think we've made it clear. This is not a movie that you would maybe on the first viewing understand head to toes. <laughs> you, you won't. Maybe somebody will. Somebody maybe, but I think most people will not. And I think this would get better on on um, diff- more viewings. Because I, you know, the first time I watched The Big Lebowski, I didn't really get it. I was like, okay, what was the big fuss about here? Like, <laughs> people were really, you know, you know what the big... But it's a, it's, I've, I've only ever watched part of it once. But it's one of those movies where people go, The Big Lebowski. Yeah. It is... If you, you should see this movie. It is just unbelievable. And the first time I watched it, I remember going... Okay, I don't see the big fuss, but it is particular. It's it's well made, and you know the Coen brothers make. I like their style of filmmaking, and then I watched it again, and it was totally different the second time because I didn't have the hat on of um uh I I should be liking this because people seem to think it's this thing that is so awesome, and I took it my own way the second time, ignoring all that stuff. And really enjoyed it a lot. Like it didn't, and I think I feel this movie could be the same thing. Okay. I think when you've took off the, because this movie assaults you right up front once it comes on. It you know the first five ten minutes, it's quite clear that this is going to be difficult to consume. Like it, you get that feeling. This is this is quite a difficult movie to take. So. Either A, I have to lower the, the defenses that I'm putting up to go, oh shit, I'm, I better try and understand it all, or just go with it. And I think the second time you watch this movie, you might just go with it and just get more from it. So, I agree. The defenses are up, because you're immediately like, Because you're what, like, what, what, I what? need to understand all this, so I am ultra keying into everything, and it's all going over my head because there's too much of it. <laughs> Even Paul Thomas Anderson said in that interview, it wasn't about necessarily the plot it was about a vibe if he got the vibe to over to you that's what he wanted to do so i feel like a multiple viewing kind of movie even though it is a long movie so uh thanks to warner brothers for the blu-ray if you want to enter a contest we've got a new uh contest this week for wellgo usa's blu-ray called these final hours which is a po- like a end of the world movie which i love those mm, it's the too. last night on earth kind of movie so uh you can win a copy of that on blu-ray if you go to ascully.com Next week's review is uh, Mr. Mark Wahlberg in The Gambler. We'll be looking at that one next week. 
Our movie recommendations for this week, I am going with Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which I really do like that movie, and it's another movie that gets better the more you watch it. The first time you watch it, you might be like, whoa, what the hell is going on? But it actually starts to make more sense the more you watch it. And the other one is not a movie that I'm recommending this week. It's a video game, and it's L.A. Noir. And L.A. Noir takes place in the exact 1970 where this inherent was vice... Was it that was the 40s? Um, well, it there, there's it does take place in the 40s, but there is a section of the game that actually takes place in the 70s, which replicates that version of Los Angeles where, like I said to you, where it's being built, where the suburbs are appearing. Right. And I remember walking around that area in that game, and that's what this... That shot was like, oh yeah, I see what I see what people are going for. So uh, yeah, La Noire, which is a Rockstar game, um, which is actually really excellent. It's a, a mystery crime thriller. So yours are mine are also not movies, so we're diverging, divergent here. Uh, one is Mash. That's like all of it. There's eleven years of it. Takes and place the in the seventies. You, you can claim Does it's it? the movie. No, yeah. it's the, no, it's Korean War. True, Korean War, not 50s. Vietnam. Yeah. yeah. And um, I'm watching it. I'm on the season number two. I'm trying to take it slow, but sometimes I get through with one. I'm just laughing, and I'm going to get the next one, the next one. It's so... It true, in my mind, I was a kid when it was on, and I loved it then, and I didn't understand it. I yeah, obviously yeah, you didn't wouldn't, get wouldn't the you? politics no. and stuff, but I understood the wackiness and the big themes of anti-racism, anti-war, anti politicizing, you know, lives of people and discrimination, all those things. They're they're there. But then I watch it and I laugh. They're it's so good. <laughs> it's just so well written. There's not an episode that I'm like, oh, this one. Like I'm just it, my teeth are in it every time. So MASH and then this radio show from even earlier it was the forties, early fifties, called Johnny Dollar. I think I've talked about it before. I don't know that one. He's an insurance oh, yeah, investigator. Yes, Insurance investigator. Sounds riveting, I know. But it really is fun. It's like, I told you, a lot of it's like on the heels of like the discoveries in Egypt of the tombs and things. So there's a lot of mystery stories about finding gems in tombs and then getting lost and murders. And he has to then fly off to Egypt and discovers the person wasn't murdered and they're just trying to cash in on the insurance policy. That's the story of it. But then he always falls in love with a chick and a woman with a dame, he'll call them even. So, it's, <laughs> but it's when you listen. When I listen to a whole one without getting distracted, I, I totally get why radio is so effective because your mind, it comes alive. You're filling in every detail because he'll say, "Well, this guy's got quite a mug on him with a face that could something something next Tuesday, and he's wearing his hat halfway down like he's clever." Or blah blah blah, and you're just you you make it all in your mind. You know what I mean, and. He gets pun. He gets peed up a lot <laughs> for some reason. Gets beat up because people like that. Knocked out. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, he puts himself in harm's way a lot. Gets shot at. Falls down cliffs and whatnot. But it's it's well. It's got good sound. You know, I've listened to a lot of those radio. I've listened to serious radio classics. A lot of old radio shows were not high quality. They would have been the less quality, so the sound effects are really crappy. The sound quality overall. You can tell when the same person's doing like four or five different people because they yeah. barely change. But then the high quality ones, you don't even know till it's over. And the Greg Bell guy will say, and four different roles were played by so-and-so. And you're like, you th I think about it because I'm listening really close. I love listening to the, all the little weird accents and stuff, you know. So, Johnny Dollar. 
All right, games and a scully stuff for this week. I've been playing more GTA 5 on the PC. Um, there's been a couple of patches out for it this week, so uh, all the niggly launch issues of the crashing and stuff are happening less now. Um, I've been playing a lot of the online, doing the heists. Really fun. Um, it's GTA 5. I've talked about it hundreds of times on the PC. <coughs> the other game I've been playing this week on Steam is a Crypt of the Necro Dancer, which is a new... This is a really hard one to explain. What it is, is a um, roguelike game, like Rogue Legacy, where you play the game, and then you die, and then when you come back, you have more of a chance every time, like because you, you can buy some more gear, and eventually you can conquer the game. And what it is, is you're going into like a dungeon, it's 8-bit kind of graphics, pixel graphics from above, and... You're walking around the dungeon and you're slaying monsters and you're trying to get to the end of the dungeon. Now the big twist on this one, and why it's called Crypt of the Necro Dancer, is it's also a rhythm game. So it's all based on the music that's playing. <clears throat> and you can even import your own music. Um, so you can only move on the beat of the music. And you move a square at a time. So you have to get into this rhythm and you can only kill enemies when the rhythm when the beat is hitting. So you have to put your headphones on and you have to get in a rhythm with the music and then you have to keep moving. And if you stop, you lose your bonus, so you have to keep going. So it's a rhythm game, like Guitar Hero, teamed with like a dungeon adventure. And it's really fun. It's Crypt of the Necro Dancer and it's on Steam. You can get it on Steam. So, Sitar, what's for dinner? Tonight, I know we're having homemade bread. So I think we're going to have homemade because I just made it and was it good or what? Yeah, really good. Amazingly delicious. Now I'm impressed and I'll brag about it because I don't have a high success rate with bread. About 40% of the time I end up with a really good bread and this was really good. So we're having that. I think we'll toast that with some baked beans. And oh, that's good. Beans on toast. Some glazed carrots, like overcooked carrots the way you like them. Because <laughs> you don't love the carrots, but there is a way I can make them that you do like them. True. Or maybe mashed carrots. That'd be really good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, okay. Mashed carrots. Because it'd be like mashing beans. <gasps> beans on toast. Dish. I need to be on MasterChef now. Beans on toast with mashed carrots. Sounds great. And then Mounds uh, chocolate bars. <laughs> or dessert. Or your cinnamon apple Belvita biscuits. And your advice before we leave? We've talked for a long time this week. Uh, my advice is really simple. Thomas I mean, don't suck. You know? Don't suck at things. Don't be the person who's like, well, I mean... Are you saying be your best? Always, um, I'm not always something. my best. No, no, no. There's a lot of difference between being your best and being suck. <laughs> like, there's a lot of difference. But if someone gives you a task and you're at work and it's outside of your normal little drudgery of tasks, don't half-ass it just because your brain has in it this weird brainwashed bullshit about, well, I don't get paid enough for that. Ugh, oh my god, it makes me want to vomit just thinking about it. People say it all the goddamn time. If you're at work and you get paid a salary, then you get paid to be at work. I'm not saying that that means you, you know, do... Uh, it's not like... I don't know that I I do my thing. I'm a, you know, operations supervisor, shift supervisor in an operations area of a data center. Now, that means that my boss can't come in and say, uh, you're going to do brain surgery this afternoon at 2 p.m. and I expect you to be really good at it. Like, I don't, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like, and also volunteer to do things. Add things to your normal monotony and don't be suck at it. True. 
figure out how to do a thing really well. Even if it's stupid, like I do stupid little charts on our call. We have an Excel spreadsheet and we put all of our calls in there that we take and that we make during the day. We're there 24-7. So to track how many calls we get from all the different agencies and what all the issues are, our director then wanted to start having that put into charts so he can do his little weekly, he has a weekly meeting with all of his little man upper management buddies. <laughs> I like to be dismissive because I have a problem with authority. But I respect him. I like him a lot. And I'm like, and no one was doing it. No one could figure out how to do it effectively. No one could figure out how to do it. So it always looked the same every week. And it was really, it was like this big ordeal. And I'm like, well, I can just do it. So I got a bunch of YouTube videos lined up that were all about making charts from Excel spreadsheets and how to do all this different stuff and how to then use like dynamic data to make it change on its own every week, blah, blah, blah. I mean, and it took me like a couple weeks. So I watched only when I'm at work, I watch the videos and then I type the little VBA code and I do the thing and watch the charts. Then I was like, when I started submitting them to them, it was like, wow, thanks. Like, uh, we, the guy who wants them, his sort of like henchman or whatever. <laughs> See, I'm not being respectful, <laughs> but he's not his assistant either. He's like a manager of, I don't know, information reporting or something like that. But, um, he was like, how did you do this? And how did you get it to look like that? And this is the guy who's in charge of everyone sending all their charts to him. So he wanted to pass on the bits and pieces to other people so that they could use the same techniques and whatever. And I said, eh. he called me one day and I said, well, do you watch a lot of YouTube videos? And he laughed and he goes, what do you mean? And I said, go on YouTube and type in Excel spreadsheet charts and Excel shit, blah, blah. And he's like, okay. And I said, that's where I get my information. So I just wanted to get good at that one small it doesn't matter if it didn't exist. I understand that. And I don't do it for like pat on the back. I do it because now I have a skill I didn't have before. And I'm relatively good at it, right? Another thing the other day, somebody needed to make a bunch of cables. All these people are moving into our area and they need to cut. They were needing to put the Ethernet ends on the cables. And he was super busy and he was doing loads of other things. The guys who do all of our cabling and all that setting up all the, you know, network and I said, well, if you show me how to do it, I'll do it. I have no problem with that. Someone's standing next to me in their little khaki pants and a cup of coffee in his hand was like, well, it's a little outside my jurisdiction. And he walked away. And I'm like, what a snob. Mm -hmm. Like, seriously. So I'm like, I started this day and I didn't know how to do this thing. And then this guy showed me really well, gave me the, what'd you call it? The crimper. crimper. And he gave me all the ends and he gave me a whole box full of the cable and I pulled them out and did the links and cut the ends. And I had a couple failures. And I was like, oh, shit. And he gave me the testers. And you plug it into this little box. And they all light up. Yep. Yeah. Well, no, it just matches up all the little I've numbers. done it before. So. And I've never done it. But, and it's not in, it's not like that's what I do all day. It's the cable guys within his daily thing. They do a lot of that. But he was super busy. And I thought, this means in the future, if I need a cable done or the end of it gets broken, I know how to fix it. I didn't want to suck at that one little thing that I've just learned how to do. It's nothing major. Again, I could have gone my whole life without knowing how to do it. In the context of my job, it doesn't help or hurt. It was just one of those little things. And I don't understand people's complacency. You know, the 100% complacency. A little bit here and there I get because I have that too. You know, like you get a little bored and you get a little bit like, oh, this is easy. I'll just do what I got to do to get it done. But overall, be enthusiastic about be not sucking at some things you didn't like. When you woke up today, find something you didn't know how to do so that by the time you go to bed, 
you now have a new thing. It doesn't have to be something major. It could be absolutely anything. Like, anything at all. Just don't suck at it. So, <laughs> let me remind you about our websites. And uh, it's sidtalk.com, ascully.com. You can catch us on Twitter and Facebook. You can also catch this podcast. Uh, just go to stitcher.com, search for After the Show, or go to the iTunes Music Store on your fancy new Apple Watch. <laughs> Or go to the uh, RSS feed, which is ascully.com. Click on the word podcast. You can subscribe there. Or you can go to Microsoft's version of things and we'll be on there too. You can email feedback to me at ascully at ascully.com. Don't email Sid Talk. She really hates you all. And I do not even hate anybody except if you decide that sucking is fine. And I don't hate you because I'm indifferent. Finally, stay classy, Mr. Thomas, Mr. Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he's going to do next, which he has not announced or even started on. So, it'll be a while. So, thank you. And, sit up. And I'm going to say think for yourself. Because if you don't do it, somebody's going to do it for you.